Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for FootballOutsiders.com. And today we're doing a little bit of a crossover episode. We've got Mike Tanier of Shots and Tanier fame joining me, slumming it here on the Football Outsiders Fantasy Show. Mike, what's up? I'm glad my blackmail is paid off today. The most ambitious crossover this side of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> right now, and I, I tell you, this is exciting because I, I got the outline. We get to talk about all the games Aaron Schatz won't talk about. Like, we're not talking about Lions-Eagles. Come on, man. Now we get to talk about that on this show. Absolutely. I mean, we're getting things started with the heavy hitters like the Carolina Panthers and Atlanta Falcons, 1 p.m. Eastern time in Atlanta in the Dome. Uh, Mike, major storyline here. I know you love to rib me for this. Mm -hmm. uh, how much do you think the matchups have played into Sam Darnold just being absolutely terrible the last three weeks? Well, let's see. He looked really good against the Jets <laughs> and some other Jets-like teams. And, then and the Saints. Played, yeah, yeah. and then he uh, he looked okay against the Saints. Yeah. And then, like, the schedule got a little bit more mm -hmm. real. And he, he it was all 99% opponent adjustments early. And the last couple of weeks, it's been opponent adjustments in the other direction or the reality yeah. of facing tougher defenses. Also need to point out the drop passes. Yeah, that that's a factor. Might, yeah, might partially be his fault. But Anderson, Moore, and, and Chuba all have like five or six drops this year. And that has been a major factor for the offense. But that's what's, that that's, we can put that aside this week because they're facing another easier defense. Is that correct? Well, I think so. And I'm working on a little bit of a theory and you might just call this desperate homerism, but whatever, wherever you draw the line between those two is that it does seem like the pressure gets to him more than most players, not necessarily just in like the pressured plays, but like in the seeing ghost variety. Right. Huh? So it's like when he's seeing more pressure in a game, it affects him on non-pressure dropbacks. And if you right. split the schedule out, it does seem like pressures had a lot to do with what's been going on because the first three weeks, um, you know, the, the jets, the saints, the, the Texans and maybe out there, the Cowboys in here too. Well, like he threw some interceptions, but moved the ball pretty well in that game. Right. Those teams have ranked 18th, 29th, 12th, and 27th defensive pressure rate. The last three weeks, it's been the Eagles, the Vikings, and the Giants. They rank 17th, second, and eighth in defensive pressure rate. So yeah. those pressure rates aren't entirely synced up with the overall defensive quality, but I'm kind of working on the theory that that may be the bigger driver of his struggles. You see, the Falcons are 28th in defensive pressure rate. Maybe there's hope. But like, you know, Mike, I don't think any of us are probably going to be pulling the trigger on Darnold in any kind of fantasy format that matters. But if you do in DFS, then <laughs> I think you get major bragging rights if you can win this week with him. I don't know if you feel that way too. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's also the factor of, you know, you get six games of tape on a new quarterback, four games, five games, six games, you get more and more. And that's mm -hmm. on rule. That's on Brady. These guys uh, have stellar reputations. We haven't seen a lot of results at the NFL level to match those rep uh, those uh, yeah. reputations. But again, here's a opponent that you can like sort of get things back under control with. That's the hope. Although who knows, maybe Corderell Patterson will run all over the Panthers too. <laughs> I know the Panthers have been better defensively than people expected before the year, but I still think Patterson is a really nice DraftKings value in DFS this week. Okay. 6,200. I think that's a thousand dollars underpriced. To me, it's less about the matchup, um, although with the receiving ability, he probably is a little bit more uh, immune to the matchups. 14.4% mm -hmm. target share is eighth among running backs or running back eligible players. But he's also seen his workload really increase. Snap mm -hmm. share by week, 33% in the first two weeks, then 42, 30, 59%, and 73% the last two Falcons games. You know, another Panthers ding. He's really passed Mike Davis by in their pecking order and is now like a real running back one, isn't he? Yeah, it, I, I drew comparisons in the past to like Herschel Walker, and he doesn't look like Herschel Walker, and he didn't have like the college career of Herschel Walker. But this weird skill set when you reach age 30, where you're 
this huge, strong guy with incredible straight line speed, like you, like the, that helped him as a kickoff returner and receiving value, and surprisingly could be used as an I formation runner as well. So it doesn't all fit together. It never really fit together for Herschel, except for like very early in his career or in the USFL. But it fits together in an odd way for this team that has to get the ball to somebody, <laughs> needs an all-purpose threat. And I think even in situations where they're trailing or behind, they're going to get him the ball in short passes. They're going to get him the ball in draws and delays. And you talk about the, his DraftKings value over in the prop bet area. Yeah. Okay. His over under on eight on total yards is 85.5. So that's total yards, 85.5. I'd be inclined to go over in this game where he, he's going to get rushing and receiving. Yeah. You can also get him plus 115 as an anytime scorer. And he's been, he's been getting the ball in the end zone. I don't think Mike Davis gets the goal line share of carries there. I think Corderell gets him as much as ever. And that's that'd be an interesting approach to take if you're high on Corderell Patterson. Yeah, I mean, my one reluctance is that a lot uh, of the work for him has come in games where they didn't have full health of all their skill talent. So, like, okay. this is one of the few times they're going to have Calvin Ridley healthy, Russell Gage healthy, Kyle Pitts has really started to take off. Yeah. Of course, maybe their offense will be good. I guess we'll see. Uh, you, <laughs> no. Useful, no, okay. You, useful Baker on the YouTube chat says, with respect to Sam Darnold, well, at least there's loser league. He's a good starting option for you there. Which dagger through the heart, useful Baker. Hate to hear that. I would say that if uh, if New Jets legend quarterback Mike White does better than Darnold this week, I'm just going to be like Dan Campbell, like blubbering after the game. So <laughs> don't don't wish that on your poor fantasy analyst over here. Uh, reminder to everybody that we're live 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time. You can chat with us live on YouTube, but you can also stream us on Twitch, Facebook, and Twitter. So appreciate if you do it there. If you bring in trade questions and stuff, we'll hold it to the end so we can keep things going with the fantasy preview. Next game, um, another woozy here for you, Mike. Dolphins at Bills, Woo! 1 p.m. in Buffalo, 57 degrees, 55% chance of rain in this game. So I'm wondering if that'll uh, even the table a little bit. We'll probably need it because didn't they beat the, the Dolphins by like 40 last time? I can't even remember. Yeah, um, my, my assurance and walkthrough was, you know, they shut them out last time. They're not going to shut them out this time. That I, can, <laughs> I feel confident saying. Uh, my my uh, major storyline question is, do the persistent Deshaun Watson trade rumors – change how you feel about Tua Tonga-Vailoa. Although maybe I should ask you in the first place, how is it that you feel about Tua? As a noted sort of advocate for him in the sense that I think everybody has jumped off the bandwagon too quickly. What do you think? Uh, it's not, you're an advocate for him. Aaron is an advocate for him. I am a skeptic, but I'm a skeptic, and I don't know what to make of it. And here's some of the numbers I pulled for uh, today's walkthrough with Football Outsiders. Mm -hmm. So he, Tua's only thrown 118 passes this season. Yeah. 24 of them are RPOs. Yeah. 19 are behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, so that's uh, yes, almost 40% of his passes have either been an RPO, which can be used as sort of a, a scaffolding for a quarterback in terms of you know sure. limiting his reads, short passes, or at some kind of screen or flare pass. He's only thrown 75 passes beyond the line of scrimmage. Now, I don't know if I'm looking at someone who needs that protection or is being overprotected. But what I'm looking at is a dysfunctional offense that is constantly just trying to do quick RPO, quick RPO, screen, screen. They're not getting yards after catch. They're not pushing the ball down the field, and they're not generating a lot of drives. Yeah. So that gets me skeptical about, about Tua, but at the same time, I don't know these coordinators. There are multiple coordinators. I don't know the, the culture down there. These Deshaun Watson rumors persist. So don't want to bury Tua, but I have to be a little skeptical, skeptical about the – um, trajectory of his career. I mean, I think it's definitely fair to be skeptical at this point. Like even the recent traditional success, he was done for six, 620 passing yards and, and yeah. six touchdowns the last two weeks. Right. But when you start including opponent adjustments for those games, it, it looks a little less pretty. 
Uh, yeah. He's negative 15.9% passing DVOA on the season, but negative 1.4% VOA. So the, okay. the unadjusted for defenses version of that. So he looks average if you don't think about who he's played too hard, but then suddenly this week he gets the bills, right? The number one DVOA pass yeah. defense. So like, in a lot of ways, this may be a truer test. Although, again, if it ends up raining in Buffalo, then I'm going to be like, well, there's the eighth excuse why you shouldn't dismiss Tua so far this season. You got to watch it. That's like the special pleading. <laughs> there's always something. Oh, there's, there's, this. there's layers. Now it's this. Now it's this. At some point, you cut through the excuses along the way. And just opponent ad- adjustments, things you do in the fourth quarter against the Atlanta Falcons do not count. Yeah, the, there's. The whole time there's been a bit of a dissonance for me. I mean, most of it comes from the fact that people have sort of made up their minds about him through right. starts in his career or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I don't know, more of it comes from there's a big difference between the player that, that Tagovailoa was scouted to be versus the player he's been. And I, I feel like you're, what you're talking about in terms of the RPO reliance, the yeah. throws behind the line of scrimmage, that seems to be something that could be a part of it because, again, he was a great decision maker at Alabama. Like he was an accurate deliverer of the ball in the intermediate levels of the field. You know, maybe there's arm strength issues, but like where are the intermediate passes? Like where he doesn't have to stretch the field necessarily, but stretch it a bit horizontally. Um, so it just it isn't really syncing up. And to me, it's it's getting a little bit difficult for me to untangle what's wrong with Tonga Valoa versus what's wrong with the offense as a whole, right? Absolutely. I do see evidence because I'll see him with the eye discipline. Bang. Bang, 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 bang. Like, I see that. That's very good. That's what you want to see in a second-year quarterback. You see that from Joe Barrow frequently. Joe Barrow is also getting the ball down the field constantly. I know we're going to talk about him later, Mm -hmm. whereas we don't get that. So uh, the the line I use is if you give give somebody a crutch long enough, they start limping. Yeah. We're going to consistently say, well, we got to limit this, and the offensive line's an issue, and we only want to get the ball out of his hands quickly. At some point, that becomes who the quarterback is, whether you can untangle it or not. I mean, the good news is that I do feel like he's handling the sort of media circus that's around him pretty well. Um, He does seem to have self-confidence and Mm -hmm. he's not like freaking out and playing worse necessarily because of the the, the stuff. But I almost kind of wish he would get traded because I feel like that would at least settle it down and be like, all right, you're going to be the starter for Houston for the next two years. Let's see what you can do and and build. But uh, I don't know if that's going to happen. Head coach Brian Flores said today that he's going to be a starter for the rest of the year. Don't know if you believe him or not. I don't know. Um, But whatever. I I still have optimism for Tonga Vailoa, accepting the fact that he's been below average so far in his career. That's just normal for rookies. Like not everybody's Justin Herbert. That's kind of where I'll settle there. Uh, From a DFS perspective, I'm not going to advocate for Tua or for any of the Dolphins' skill players playing the Bills. (laughs) So let me reach across to the other side of the field, grab Tommy Sweeney, the tight end, $4,300 in draft uh, in FanDuel. I mean, $500 underpriced. To me, this is just an assumption that he's going to play the Dawson Knox role while Knox is going to miss a few weeks with a broken hand. Mm -hmm. Knox is actually tied for the tight end lead with five touchdowns this season. And unlike CJ Uzoma, it's actually much more supported by the nature of the targets, he said. Sean McDermott's been saying that that Sweeney's got a really good opportunity this week, so I'm going to assume that that's kind of the plan for him this week. How much do you think Knox's success has been his skill set versus like the role and surrounding talent? I think it's a role situation. Now I went back and checked my old scouting reports on Tommy Sweeney and it's kind of like Boston college kid blocked. Okay. I think he was brought in to be a blocker because he's a big body, not necessarily the seam stretcher, but I don't think they, I don't think they were using a seam stretcher a lot from that, that, yeah. tight, that tight end position. That's that's the receiver's job. It's the work, the underneath. And the idea is if this guy's going to come in and he's going to be working underneath and be a safety valve outlet, do think Sweeney probably has the hands for that. Had a, had some success already this year, so I can see him fitting into that role. Perfect. 
I've got a question for Brad Montgomery. I'll hold to the end of the show and we'll do a little bit of a fantasy trade discussion. Let's keep things rolling with the preview with 49ers at Bears, 1 p.m. in Chicago, 53 degrees, a little bit of wind at 13 miles per hour. Uh, Mike, is there anything to the Kyle Shanahan backlash that you, you think matters for the 49ers, maybe specifically in fantasy? I would say that football outsiders may be bigger advocates for him because of our understanding of things like adjusted games lost last year or like mm -hmm. DVOA and records being potentially different over small samples of games. But like, what do you think here of what's going on with the 49ers? Big picture wise, I think that it's it's not crazy to start having conversations about, well, Kyle Shannon, where is the success? I see mm -hmm. the, the, the AGL and everything as well. But you have a one Super Bowl year and a couple of week years. I'm based here in Philadelphia where we had to ask the questions about Doug Peterson despite a Super Bowl victory. It's yeah. not offline. From a fantasy standpoint, though, the reality is Kyle Shannon is not going anywhere this year, folks. And, yeah. his, and his system's not changing this year. And his system will produce results. So I think the one thing is an urgency may kick in when Trey Lance is healthy to get him into the games. But beyond that, I, I can't look at this and say, well, uh, Kyle Shanahan has forgotten how to get running backs involved. No, that's not true. Get the mm -hmm. ball to Kittle and Debo. No, that's not true. From a fantasy standpoint, I think it's not, not much has changed this year except the health of the players. Yeah, I mean, the 49ers are 16th in offensive DVOA and 12th in run offense DVOA. So, like, the things that he does well still seem to be working at least decently well. Meanwhile, they've faced the ninth hardest schedule so far this year by DVOA. It's going to get a little bit easier with the 15th going forward. I, my summary of this is that, like, you know, no matter how good the coach is, they just don't win with bad quarterbacks. It's a fact. I mean, here are his, uh, you know, the quarterbacks that have ended up uh, with at least 200 pass attempts to sort of be qualifiers, I guess you would say. 2017, C.J. Beathard, negative 23.1% DVOA. 2018, Nick Mullins, 4.2% DVOA, above average. Uh, 2019, Jimmy G, 10.8% DVOA. They went to the Super Bowl. Right. 2020, Nick Mullins, negative 7.7% DVOA. 2021, Jimmy G was actually kind of around that 10% range, and then the, the monsoon game happened, and it's down to negative 7.8%. Um, I don't know how good you think Jimmy Garoppolo is, but the fact of the matter is he's the best quarterback that Shanahan's had. If you want to ding Shanahan for making bad personnel moves, okay. But, like, should he be fired as a coach? <laughs> no. Right. He's, he's a great innovator, a great scheme guy. He's gotten a lot out of, you know, bad players. And he needs a quarterback if he's going to have sustained success in the NFL. Everybody does. Right. And he may have that quarterback sitting there. So, again, it's not a conversation to, to completely ignore. Mm -hmm. But it, it's up there in the ether. It's up there in this hypothetical world. Not something that's like, hey, maybe we should, like, be putting prop bets on when Kyle Shanahan yeah. loses job. From a fantasy perspective, I'm, I'm just going to lean on his running backs, though. I think that's the, the ticket in the short term until they figure the quarterback situation out. I mean, Debo is obviously fine. But I think Elijah Mitchell is a really good value at 5800 and FanDuel. I think that's $1,000 underpriced. I've noticed this in the waiver wire where people are kind of leaving him out there, and I don't understand it uh, because he's had 60% of offensive snaps played in his four healthy games, and he's right. taken 17 to 19 carries in all three of his healthy games with Jimmy G as the starter. Okay, Maybe maybe there's a bit of a question, like if Trey Lance comes in here in the future, is that going to siphon away some of the carries and make this an Eagles-like situation? But for now, Mitchell, I think, is an incredible value while, while Garoppolo is starting. What do you think of Mitchell? Well, one thing I did notice, I, I, I liked what I saw because he played significantly early in the season against the Eagles, et cetera. One thing I did notice, only four receptions mm -hmm. so far That's this true. year. But he did have two two-reception games. They are finding ways to get him involved. It's not like they have to rush him off the field if they're going to throw the ball. They're not, like, out of balance like that. And I saw that. So he will catch the swing passes, et cetera. I was looking on DraftKings since we're talking about, like, yeah. I look at props the way you look at DFS. Mm -hmm. His over-under for receiving yards is just 6.5. <laughs> So you can get out there. You can put a bet in right now. 
And if he catches a screen and gets a, the typical mm-hmm. you know, 49er screen, screen, you can come out a winner on that little bet. The one reason that may be the case is because Jermichael Hasty returned from the PUP yeah. list last week and got more of the traditional passing game work, I guess you would right. say. Right. Um, but like from a broader fantasy perspective, I just don't think that matters for him because of how well schemed their running game is. Right. He's not going to have the Mark Ingram style. Oh, I had 12 carries, but only got 35 yards. That's, that's not going to happen to Mitchell in this offense. It's just not. Right. So I'm not concerned. I mean, in a PPR format, you would want more, but I feel like he's a safe RB two, which is, not the way he's being priced right now. So that, that's kind of where I'll settle. Right. And uh, there might be some fear about the Bears defense, which is a quality defense. But true. as we've seen a lot during this this year, it's like they have to press, 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 because their offense gives you nothing. And then you break through. And yeah. then there's opportunities against them because they had to play this lights out, high-risk type of defense. And then draw plays happen, swing passes happen, and suddenly the other team's generating offense. Absolutely. All right, next up on the list, we got the Steelers at Browns, 1 p.m. Eastern time in Cleveland, 55 degrees with 14-mile-per-hour winds. I think you were saying that it sounds like Baker Mayfield may end up playing in this game. I didn't know that when I was prepping these notes. Right. So my major storyline question is, do you think Dearness Johnson can be a relevant fantasy player playing alongside either Nick Chubb or Kareem Hunt? Chubb is, looks like he's going to return this week, so I think that Johnson is going to be in a role like Kareem Hunt was in before. Yes. And like both of these players were valuable before, but can they be with Johnson as one of the pieces? I think so. I don't think there's going to be a major drop off, especially when he's in that Hunt role and you do, be, you are able to rotate them. I'm curious what happens when you get Hunt back. I don't think it's the number three guy. You're going to get anything out of Dearness yeah. Johnson. One thing I did know is because I was looking for the prop bets and seeing where they were. They didn't have a lot of Browns props on the board. Now, again, we found out about Baker about at about 1245. So that's why we didn't know. Um, but uh, uh, in terms of the running backs, I think that there's a little bit of a fear there as to how this rotation is going to go this week, how much Nick Chubb is going to be available. So for this week, I wouldn't be too worried about getting the number two guy in there. Mm-hmm. So I'd say there are a couple stats here that I think can both mislead you and then get you in the right direction. Right. If you're looking at rushing DVOA, Johnson has a 45% rushing DVOA this year. I think that may be a little bit deceptive. It's yeah. really heavily skewed toward the one game. It makes him look a lot better than Chubb and Hunt, which I don't think is the case. The number I would really focus on is the 5.25 adjusted line yards that the the, the Browns have so far this season, despite yeah. having some offensive tackle injuries. Mm-hmm. They're second in the league behind just the Cowboys. And I think when fully healthy, those are the two offensive lines that are the best run blocking units in football. I think it's pretty clear. And I think that's going to lead to a lot of these guys being effective, no matter if they really are in real life or not. Now, that said, I think, Johnson, it, it's possible that he's good. You guys kind of talked about this earlier in the week on the, on the main show, talking about like, the fact that he's getting these unexpected yards, like if you're looking at the next-gen stats and stuff, right. like, is it possible that the blockers are maybe contributing into that? Like, We don't really know. I like to look at yards after contact and avoided tackle rate, assuming those are kind of more the responsibility of the back and less the blockers. Right. And by those metrics, Johnson looks pretty good. 2.6 yards after contact per attempt, in line with Chubb at 2.9 and Hunt at 2.5. Chubb is always a, a league leader. Getting to three there is a huge number. Uh, right. He's more like half half their percentages and avoided tackle rate since the start of last year, 5.2% versus mm-hmm. 10.7% for Chubb. So I'll say, you know, the, the small sample can be overstating things, but Johnson looks like not as good as Nick Chubb, but maybe an NFL-capable back. Yeah. And in this offense with that run blocking, I'll say, yeah, you can start him. Like, he's going to be a flex option for you, even if Nick Chubb is playing, assuming that Hunt isn't also playing. Right, and they do have Conklin back healthy at right tackle. I, he's been practicing all week. I'm not yeah. sure Will's the status, but I think he's back. He came back he for the Broncos game, yeah. yeah, and it was kind of like not 
100%. He's probably closer to 100% now. So that's at full strength. If you look at the Steelers, the one weakness of the Steelers' defense is you can run directly at him. doesn't necessarily show up in the DVOA just yet, but opponents, the Seahawks did it a couple weeks ago. Like They mm-hmm. had nothing else. Run between the tackles, you neutralize some of the things the Steelers do well. Of course, that's how the Browns are going to attack them. Yep. Speaking of those Steelers, my DFS play here is on the Steelers' side. It's Pat Fryermuth, 4,900 mm-hmm. in FanDuel. I think that's 500 underpriced. Juju Smith-Schuster is out for the season with a shoulder injury. He's missed one full game so far. It was just before the bye. And in that game, Fryermuth had seven targets. That's a season high by two. Had a 60% snap share. That was a, a season high as well. To me, like there's not an obvious wide receiver to come and step in and fill the Juju role. Like, right. you know, the, the most natural additional player to add is James Washington, but he's more of a field stretcher. It doesn't really fill the same role. So I always think that Fryermuth is going to play more. They actually may go a little bit more two tight end sets in the yeah. future, but Fryermuth is definitely seeing more work than Eric Ebron. Do you think that he could see, be the guy that sort of sees the biggest benefit of the, the Juju injury in terms of workload? I think his workload is going to increase. And one thing I'm seeing is he is on the field a lot. I think they like him more than Ebron because you can put him as an inline tight end and you can protect your tackles a little bit. And I think this week against Miles Garrett, you're going to want him in the game and, and protect your tackles. And from fantasy, you don't say, oh, big deal. He's the blocking tight end. Blocking tight end gets chip and release options, especially in an offense built around short passes, gets tight end screen options. If you're on the field, you get those opportunities. And I think that's one place where Frymouth could benefit. I, I get the impression that the Juju targets are going to spread mm-hmm. liberally around everybody, but this is somebody who's taking Ebron's targets as well and is getting an increased role in what they're doing. I mean, if you're looking for a receiver to maybe convert on some third downs, you probably don't want to throw the ball to Eric Ebron, who has absolute stone hands, <laughs> which I can say because he's a UNC alum, as, as I am right. as well. So I, I love Ebron, but he's got some pretty clear strengths and weaknesses, I would say. One-year wonder. One-year uh-huh. wonder. Uh, next up, we got the Eagles at Lions, 1 p.m. Eastern time in the Dome in Detroit. Uh, we got some great players to talk about here for you. Uh, does Joe Flacco's trade, uh, in your mind, accelerate an Eagles potential switch to Gardner Minshew at quarterback, or do you think Jalen Hurts is going to start all year? Uh, as the Eagles writer here, you can take off with that however you'd like. Gardner Minshew is not an NFL starter. We need to stop <laughs> pretending he's an NFL starter. He is Jalen Hurts in slow motion. If you watch Jalen Hurts and you're saying, I am tired of these screen passes and scramble around once in a while, and then when you're down by two touchdowns, the big comeback play because you are you you have a lot of speed at, at wide receiver, and when they go into prevent, you're going to exploit mm-hmm. that. That's Hurts' game. That was Gardner Minshew's game for two years. We talked that in, up into being so all he did for the Jaguars was it got down 17 nothing, and then he'd float some passes up the sidelines. He put them, what was it, chalk, uh, uh, put them right on his hands. It was, they were pretty balls, but it's like, and that makes it, you know, 27 to 10 with that touchdown pass. That's who Minshew is. Was it Jalen Hurts can't throw stones if we're talking garbage time production here? All of it. his That's production I mean. is in garbage time. That's what, but, but we should, like, the Eagles should be evaluating Hurts with every single snap they possibly can this year to see. If those deep balls can become more a- accurate, because he underthrows a lot of them, he overthrows a lot of them, to find out if he's going to get the ball over the middle of the field more consistently, if, if that's ever going to be opened up in this offense, if that's a Sirianni problem. I see no point to evaluating Gardner Minshew, because your starting quarterback is either Jalen Hurts or whoever is behind door number two with the three draft picks, whether it's a rookie or it's somebody you traded draft picks to get. So, I mean... Maybe I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth saying what I said about Tua Tagovailoa, but like I don't think Hertz is a starting quarterback either. If you look at his broader passing DVOA, it looks like it's improving because negative 17.6% last year was a little alarming even for a rookie. Yeah. It's improved to negative 5.9% this year. That's good. Um, 
but if you start to like dig down on where those numbers are coming from, that's when mm -hmm. I get really scared. So like, if you look behind the line of scrimmage, it's a 74.2% completion percentage. Yes. That's fine. Yeah. If you look deep, it's a 37.5% completion percentage. Mm -hmm. Not great, but also kind of average. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the, sh the shorter throws, the one to 10 yard variety, that's mm -hmm. a 57.4% completion rate. That's the worst among current starters and like way worse than Zach Wilson and Justin Fields range. Yeah. If you look at the intermediate, the 11 to 20, 20 range throws, that's a 50.6% completion rate. Uh, Darnold's worse. So, so congrats <laughs> here. Uh, Heineke's worse. Wilson's worse. But he's the fourth worst among current starters. Like it's it's real, real bad. He can't make the throws that I associate with being NFL throws. And he doesn't get the opportunity to make those throws because you, you talk about the percentages, but you don't talk about the raw totals where there is very little in the 11 to 20 yard range. There's very little between the the numbers in this offense. And you talked about the high rate behind the line of scrimmage. They must have thrown 6 billion passes behind the line of scrimmage right now. So again, like Tua, I don't know where the scaffolding ends and the limitations of the quarterback begins. And I want to find out more about that while we're evaluating that. The bigger difference is the Eagles can move on a lot more easily mm. than the Dolphins can move on from Tua. And that's what, what they should be thinking about. Not this year, clearly, but they should be thinking about as they try to open up and really see what they've got in Jalen Hurts. So, I mean, that's actually the, that is the like million dollar question for fantasy players because Hurts is basically the number one quarterback in fantasy football with all of these struggles that I'm suggesting because mm -hmm. he runs so much and he right. runs so effectively and scores while running. Yeah. And so like if he got pulled for a new quarterback before the fantasy playoffs, yeah. that would kill so many fantasy teams that were going to win a fantasy title. And so mm -hmm. that's why I've been so obsessed with the fact that like Gardner Minshew is on this team. But uh, <laughs> I mean, I can see a desperation move by Sirianni as he starts talking about flowers blooming and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, I could see orders coming down from on high, which is how yeah. things happen here in Philadelphia now. But in terms of like actual merit, I couldn't necessarily see it, but if merit doesn't always come into play when making a, a football decisions. Yeah. So sticking with the Eagles, but for somebody else from a DFS perspective, I'll point out Kenneth Gainwell, the running back, is just 5000 in, in DraftKings. I think that's 800 underpriced. There's some guesswork here because I don't know that Gainwell is going to be the primary starter here while Miles Sanders is out. You've also got Boston Scott on the team, kind of a similar build as a small, well, shorter than small, I would say, player. Yeah. Uh, I think everybody's favorite Eagle, Jordan Howard, is going to probably get <laughs> elevated for this game. So that's an exciting thing. Uh, but I, I'm picking Gainwell here. I like the fact that he's already top 12 among running backs with a 13.4% target share. Mm -hmm. Yes, the Lions have allowed six receiving touchdowns to running backs. Ow. There's been like seven games. How is that even possible? It's incredible. Um, but they've, like, scored, they've scored like six receiving touchdowns by running backs. Too. It's all running back touchdowns. The Lions, <laughs> it's pretty wild. I didn't realize they gave up so many. Absolutely. So like, I'm, I'm intrigued there that Gainwell is going to have a higher floor with the receiving, even if the workload isn't there as a runner. But I think the workload as a runner may be there too, because kind of settling on the fact that, yeah, he's only 200 pounds, but at five foot nine from like a compact build BMI kind of perspective, he can probably handle a bigger workload than you would expect. He averaged 16.5 carries per game in his last season at Memphis in 2019. And oh, by the way, Antonio Gibson was on that team and not playing very much because of Gainwell. So, like, I think that at least temporarily he can be a closer to a bell cow back. What do you think there? Well, there's two things. One is Boston Scott has a way of surviving on this roster and getting in there. So I think it might be more committee-oriented, but you're right. Gainwell's already integrated into the offense to a degree. He's the better option as a receiver. The other question is when you say bell cow back, the Eagles didn't run the ball for a month. Yeah. Now, that got that changed against the, uh, the, the Raiders. They were running the ball in the first half before they fell behind much more consistently. But – 
I don't know what kind of game plan you're going to see. So the one thing about Gainwell is he is going to insulate you in the establish the screen offense that Sirianni likes <laughs> because he's going to catch those swing passes and screens and be a better option there. But there's a chance that bell cow back is meaningless because the Eagles could be in this game. It could be it could be neutral situations all the way through, and they wind up with like six handoffs to running backs. All right, let's head to a game that people actually might want to watch. Maybe. The Titans at Colts, 1 p.m. Yeah. in the Dome in Indianapolis. This game has a lot of implications, at least from a divisional title perspective. My question for you, Mike, is do you think the Titans' Week 7 beatdown of the Chiefs, does that change how you feel about their defense as a fantasy matchup? Because entering the week, I was kind of just like, yeah, same old Titans. I know they made some offseason moves, but the defense doesn't look good by a DVOA perspective. Still just 22nd by DVOA, but man, they chose a really good offense to shut down and sort of potentially change our minds. So what do you think? Yeah, I, I had to flip the script on that because especially they came in with secondary injuries. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the young guys in the secondary, and it's like, oh, they're just not going to have the bodies and manpower to cover everybody. They did a good job with that. Very strong in pressure rate. And of course, when you're going up against mm -hmm. uh, uh, Carson Wentz, who is a one-man uh, personal <laughs> pressure rate, uh, the Titans are fourth, according to Pro Football Reference, in pressure rate in the NFL. You, you don't think about it, but, you know, Harold Landry's playing well. Uh, I think we're going to talk about Autry a little bit. He's yeah. been a, a, a wise addition. Dupree is now playing a little bit more and, and being more effective. So, yeah, they have a means to play on defense and to stress opponents, and that's something I didn't think was the case three weeks ago, four weeks ago, you know, being in the year. So Harold Landry has 30 pressures so far this season. Again, according to PFR, he had 32 and 34 the last two seasons playing 16 games in each. Danico wow. Autry has 19 pressures this season. He had 17 and 22 for the last two seasons. And those were 14 games played each. So like these guys are like twice as effective from a pressure rate perspective. And like you said, Bud Dupree, he just came off the ACL injury a couple of weeks ago. So this is like... To me, this is a possibility that this team is trending and it wasn't so much a, a one game wonder as much as maybe they're trending toward a positive thing here. Yeah. I'm going to do a very dangerous thing, Mike, and as a fantasy analyst, try to do a little X's and O's talk with you here. Right. This could go really wrong. But what I think I'm seeing is what I see a lot with the Panthers, and I think I understand it better there because I watch them all the time. But having a versatile player like Danico Autry, I think has been a really big addition because what I think the Titans are doing is rather than blitzing in a traditional sense by like bringing more than four people on a pass rush, mm -hmm. what they're doing is they're bringing sort of stunt blitzes from like random people, you know, to create pressure, maybe to get an unblocked look. But then with someone like Autry, who is a defensive lineman, he can drop into coverage and play a little bit of coverage. And it's not awful. Kind of what you're seeing with the son Reddick with the Panthers. Yeah. And so I think there are some, like, even though some of these players you don't think of as stars, their versatility, I think, has really been a big key here for them to get like a lot better with some of these like marginal individual improvements scheme wise. Does that make sense at all or, or should I stick to, stick to the fantasy sports? Uh, I should just neg you for the sake of negging you because you <laughs> set, set me up with a line like that. But I'm checking on something real quick because, yeah, in the past um, – the other edge rusher you just met, Harold Landry, was mm -hmm. dropping into coverage. He, does, he still drops into coverage a little bit. So he's effective in that role as well. So that helps. Another thing about Autry is I, I'm always a fan of the defensive, the pass rusher, the quote-unquote edge rusher, who can play over the tackle a little bit mm -hmm. more as opposed to always having to be out there sort of in a wide nine situation. And I think you get that with Autry, that he can slide inside. You can stunt with him and Dupree, stunt with him and another player. So you can do all these other things with these front fours. And, yeah, that's helping the Titans a lot. The thing that 
trending forward, I do worry about is again the injuries in the secondary. And I keep I, yeah. I, I always forget I got to pull the roster because I always forget the names of all the young men in the secondary who've already gotten hurt because they have similar sounding well, names. Christian Fulton's one, I think. Christian Fulton is one. And Cal Farley, is he the one who got hurt? Yeah, he got hurt earlier. I think he was the one that got they got drafted despite the injury, right? So yeah. Yeah, he played a little bit though during the season. So yeah. So it was for them, I always thought of it as a well, they got quantity, which makes up for quality in the secondary, which it does, because you can go dime deep and you, you know, you can cover the the the, the fourth wide receiver. They're losing that capability. I don't know if that bothers them against the Colts this week because the Colts are a little thin because of injuries at wide receiver, but it could hurt them moving forward. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm going to, again, talk out of both sides of my mouth here and give, I guess, a, a pretty tepid DFS endorsement of Carson Wentz at 7200 and FanDuel. I think that's $200 under price. So I, okay. like this isn't necessarily the quarterback that I'm targeting, but I kind of wanted to bring him up to get your thoughts, Mike, because here are his passing DVOA rates by season. 2017, mm-hmm. the near MVP year, 23.8%. Mm-hmm. Then 8.1, then 0.1, then negative 35.9 got him chased out of Philly, yes. back to negative 0.5. So basically right where it was in 2019. Yeah, I haven't watched him a lot, but I saw the monsoon game a good bit of it, and it looked like he was the same old Wentz just being like, hero ball, this is definitely going 20 yards downfield. But <laughs> people keep telling me for sure that he isn't doing that all the time. So what do you think? He's not doing it that much. This is 2019 Wentz. Okay. Yeah, so there are hero balls, and there are – burp fumbles or whatever you're going to call that thing (laughs) he did there. And there's a lot of that, but then there is a little bit more structure at play here. Uh, It's a pretty defined structure too. They're they're kind of scripting up where they take the downfield shots with him. That said, they're, 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 they're scripting them up uh, effectively. So I I like your idea of a tepid uh, uh, fantasy (laughs) endorsement because I've got hard and fast rules. I I don't, I don't bet on the Falcons and I don't put money on Carson Wentz doing anything. (laughs) I do want to throw one prop at you just to hear hear your thoughts. I got to find it right here. And it is Derek Henry and Jonathan Taylor combined over, let's say, 200 yards, 199.5. Over 200 yards, Taylor and Henry at plus 115. I mean, it – it almost seems too easy, I guess I would say. So okay. I, I've noticed, you know, I, I run fairly conservative projections, which they're the projections you can find up in the weekly projections page as part of FO Plus. Please uh-huh. subscribe to that one. Um, but they're, they're fairly conservative with things like regression and stuff, especially in the early season. Right, and right. I've noticed Henry is is inching up and inching up. Just, and I'm at this point, I'm projecting him for like 27 carries every game and 130 <laughs> yards. And you're like, how is that the average scenario? But, right, you know, right. that's, that's just kind of what it is. So it's like, if you feel like you're getting a buck 25 from, from Henry, like it's, it's really not that much to ask for both guys to combine for 200. Maybe you're worried about the injury. Uh, I'm certainly not worried about the number one DBA run defense. I just don't think Henry is going to get stopped by a team like that. Right. Right. And, and he, I think he had over hundred against the Colts in week three. So it is something to, to worry about, but his over under personally, I don't have it up right now, but something like 106.5 and like, where is a running backs over under ever well <laughs> over a hundred, you know, even for the best, like I was up at 91.3 or five. Mm-hmm. Are you, are you, are you taking it? It's about 106. It's like if a running back has five 100 yard carry games in a, se- a season, then that's like an incredible pro bowl type right. of year. And this is like, right. well, if he does worse than that, when we're like, what happened to Henry this game? It was terrible. <laughs> um, let's shift on to another game that uh, maybe not interesting, but some interesting players to discuss. The Bengals at Jets, 1 p.m. in New York, 59 degrees and clear. 
Mike, are you trusting Joe Burrow at this point? I'm thinking of this as sort of a fantasy question because he's yeah. a quarterback one for the season, but maybe more broadly too. He had that great game in Baltimore, which is, I think, a big, like, everybody was watching it kind of game in the early 1 p.m. window. But is it possible that was kind of a weird one-off, or do you think that this is, like, this is a guy now? Well, I think he's developing, and I like him forward for the future, and I'd like him forward in Dynasty. I'm assuming in Fantasy, maybe not DFS, but people who have a league, they've got Burrow and another quarterback who's a viable option. Because you didn't, like, he's, he's I'm ride or die with Burrow. Maybe Russell Wilson was your other one, and you'll have him back. but. I would look opponent by opponent, particularly about deep passes, and maybe to a lesser degree at the uh, at the pass rush because I still yeah. worry about that Bengals line. So next week the Browns they're thirty first in DVOA versus deep passes. We saw Herbert just like boop 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 downfield against them. I would be comfortable with Burrow there. Then you get the Raiders later on, and they're fifth against deep passes. So I, I don't know if you take away Chase downfield and then whoever's open because Chase is, tri- is triple covered mm-hmm. downfield. I don't know if I trust him against the Raiders. I don't know if I trust them against the Steelers. They're 16th in deep passes, but there's some Steelers, and we know that they're going to bring some heat from a pass rush standpoint. So I'm optimistic moving forward, but every week I would look at that at Burrow against what the other option is if I'm in a regular old-fashioned fantasy league. So I'm actually aligned with you that like from a fantasy perspective, I think matchups are still an important consideration here. Right. And like the, my eyes are definitely telling me that this is kind of an arrival. This is a guy. I love what he's doing yeah. to sort of extend plays in the pocket. But the touchdown total is what has me worried. And that's what's important from a fantasy perspective. Is he going to keep throwing, you know, two and a half touchdowns per game? He's got 17 on the season, Mm -hmm. just 6.6 expected touchdowns by opportunity, just a touchdown metric. That 10.4 touchdown surplus is nearly double Patrick Mahomes in second place. He's got 5.7. So what that stat is basically telling you is where Burrow is throwing the ball, combining both his place on the field and the air yards, how likely are these passes to become touchdowns? And we're saying that like he's getting so many more and it's because he's throwing them from long range. Yeah. Only five of his 17 touchdowns have been from inside the 10 yard line, just six from in the red zone period. Like these are 30, mm-hmm. 40, in some cases, right. 80 yard touchdown passes. And while we're like, oh my God, Jamar Chase is awesome. Look at CJ Uzoma running away, breaking tackles. Uh-huh. It's all very awesome. But like, is it, is it sustainable? <laughs> I don't think so. And like, right. It's an important distinction to say that when a quarterback overachieves on his expected total, that's not like when a running back does it. It's not all luck because Patrick Mahomes exceeds it every year. It's because he's an incredible deep ball thrower and is going to get those long touchdowns. And if he didn't, he would extend some of those drives and score touchdowns later in the drives, right? That's just kind of how it works for a quarterback. But I think some of the time those plays may end up becoming Joe Mixon carries from the two yard line for a touchdown, right? Like I think there's an aspect of luck that's applying here from a fantasy perspective that makes Burrow a little bit less valuable in my mind. And I'm honestly a little bit concerned about the Jets matchup. And again, only from a fantasy perspective, because the Jets are just as bad against the run as they are against the pass. And that's led their opponents to build big leads, increase their run plays by 16%, and then cut passing touchdown rate by 37% because Samaj P. Ryan scoring touchdowns. Joe right. Mixon scoring touchdowns. Like, the right. Bengals are going to win, right? Like We're not worried about that. But we're worried about, is he going to get three passing touchdowns in this game? And I'm not sure that he will. Right, right. No, I, I would have him in there. Uh, but I, I guess from a DFS standpoint, it's like, well, he, would he wind up being overvalued? I'd worry about that, and I might be looking elsewhere. But yeah. I feel confident you, you get your two touchdowns early from him against the Jets <laughs> if you're in a regular league, and you just you just bank that, and you, and you walk away. Yeah, I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna read this question now because it's it's really on point from from convos in the YouTube chat. Um, 
Tom Brady versus Joe Burrow in PPR leagues, who would you recommend I start this week? What I was explaining there about Burrow's touchdowns and, and maybe that being a little bit lucky, it's actually a situation where Brady is coming out kind of significantly ahead of Burrow in fantasy every week hmm. in my metrics. And I know that hasn't been the, the results necessarily so far, but I, like to me, there's like a chasm there that you're not seeing by the traditional stats. And that's why I would say Brady uh, pretty much every week. Makes sense. Um, yeah, from a deep, Brady every week. This is a, yeah, I mean, bold, bold call. Like they can cut cut that one out and put it on the on the Twitter. That'll get me some extra followers. Tom Brady over Joe Burrow all the time. The <laughs> Hall of Famer. Yeah. Um, from a DFS perspective, I'm gonna gonna sh- take a shot here at a Jet Michael Carter, 4900 in DraftKings. I know you're gonna call me bold there. Uh, I think it's 800 underpriced, and I'm not 100 percent sure on this because. Carter has seen his snap share climb. It was 25% to start the year. It got into the 50s before the buy and then got to 72% last week. You're like, oh, like, is this the next J.K. Dobbins or Cam Akers? Like, suddenly the workload is climbing up, even if the offense isn't isn't nearly as good. Um, But there's a little bit of a question mark here where Tevin Coleman was out last week with an injury, I think may play this week. Ty Johnson suffered a maybe concussion during the game. So, like, suddenly he was kind of the only guy left. Right. Do you think that Carter is kind of building towards something? Do you think the Jets are going to sabotage that from happening? Like, what are your thoughts there? It's hard to tell if anybody on the Jets is building towards anything. And, of course, we have yeah. a quarterback issue there. Coleman's still <laughs> on the injury report. If I know anything about Coleman, he'll be on that injury report. Significantly <laughs> moving forward. For the forward. next 10 weeks, yeah. Uh, a lot of the touches that both backs got, and I think that Carter got, just a lot of swing passes late in the 56-10 mm. game. And so that, that's – Hard to predict. I mean, yeah, in that offense, in that situation, there's going to be swing passes at the end of blowouts along the way. I can't get a scouting read on anybody in the Jets because of the level of dysfunction there. So I think the opportunities are going to be there. Yeah, their their Perrine, their their Lamichael Perrine just has just disappeared into the woodwork, and I don't know what's going on there. So it's just a matter of what's your comfort with the idea that you're going to get a guy who gets eight or nine carries, ten carries, five or six swing passes, and mm-hmm. and that and that's the production and has yeah. no no history yet of like breaking a lot of breakaway runs or anything with that. You need the targets. Cause like, again, the jets yeah. are going to be down. They're not going to be able to run a lot. And so like he had nine targets last week and his previous high for the season was three. Right. But and if- I'm hoping that's part of the trending because Carter was scouted as like a really good receiver out of the backfield. Um, but we may have to wait and see what happens there. So a bit of a risk. Yeah. It's, Next amazing up- how, it's amazing how they never have a decent running back. I mean, Obviously, they spent time on Bell, but they've been drafting running backs, and these guys come out, and they're just so ordinary. I don't, I don't know what the issue is. I mean, Lamichael Perrin was the definition of uh, of like ordinary because he what he was like very average from a speed and all the athletic testing perspective ended yeah. up being a fourth round pick right in the middle of the draft. It's like, yeah. oh yeah, this guy is pretty average. Right, and that Boston Scott and uh, that uh, Trenton Cannon, Trenton mm-hmm. Cannon, kind of years ago. It's like, yeah, this is going to be a special weapon, and it's like. He's just another little fast guy. He pretty much is Boston Scott. You know, don't don't <laughs> put your chickens in this like you found something special. Absolutely. All right, next up, Rams at Texans, 1 p.m. in the Dome in Houston. Uh, big fantasy news this week, the Mark Ingram trade back to the Saints. Well, we may touch on that from both perspectives. But weirdly, it's actually the Texans that maybe has more fantasy implications because that could open the door for more running back opportunities for their teammates. So I kind of wanted to get your sense of how do you think the Texans are going to split up the work now that Ingram, their you know most heavily used back, is no longer in the mix. This is where we're at. We're talking about the Texans. Now, this is fantasy. I get. I get the it. sad it's part about fantasy football. You're like, oh, Philip Lindsay. Mm, intriguing. Yeah. <laughs> and it's DFS fantasy, so it's like they could be sitting there for like six dollars. I, mm-hmm. I get that. Now, I, I used to be the president of the Philip Lindsay fan club. Uh, tremendous young man. Got to interview him going into the draft. Uh, I, I think he kind of peaked and did his thing for a couple of seasons here. He, he's very much like a third running back, a fourth running back at best. So. 
the logical thing with the, for them to do would be to give the youngster, what's his name, Scotty Phillips? Scotty Phillips, second year right. undrafted free agent, yeah. Right, that would be the logical thing because this team's not going anywhere. And see if you've got a John Robinson like sitting on your bench. What they're probably going to be doing is giving Johnson a lot of the workload there. And Johnson is useful as both a rusher and a receiver, and he could be the guy who's out there catching the swing passes in the in the early game and doing what Ingram – because they, they used Ingram like a battering ram in the first yeah. quarter. And it was silly uh, the way they used them. But that winds up being seven, eight, nine touches. A lot of times that winds up getting you 35, 40 yards. Maybe it gets you a touchdown if you get close to the end zone. Yeah, uh, Lark McFlog on the, the YouTube chat. We are giving fantasy advice. Send in your questions. We'll get to them at the end of the show. We're doing a broader fantasy preview for the time being. Um, I'm going to agree with you, Mike. I think that both David Johnson and Philip Lindsay are going to get a little bit more work here. Okay. For the season so far, 27 carries and 19 targets, or maybe catches. I think these are maybe catches for, mm -hmm. for Johnson. 38 and 3 for Lindsay. So it's a lot more rushing work for Lindsay. Yeah. I'll say that Lindsay, like you would be tempted to say that he's going to be a full-on replacement for Ingram because he's an early down back. Johnson is more of a third down back. But uh -huh. you can fall into a trap there because Lindsay is, is a very specialized player. He's five foot eight and 190 pounds. Yep. And it's like while he's one of the fastest backs in the league and can really break off some explosive plays, mm -hmm. he's like comically bad from a third and short perspective. Right. Broadly, broadly speaking, he's converted 33.3% of his career cool. third down carries. He's only had 27 third down carries because teams know like he can't get any kind of yards after contact. So it's like he's really good before contact, really bad after contact, and he's not going to be able to fill what Ingram did. Does it matter for the Texans? Probably not. Um, but like I think that Johnson is going to get more work than he's been getting so far okay. because like you can't just have the same roles that you had with Ingram and Johnson. Now that you have, you know, Philip Lindsay and Johnson. Right. Um, but from like a DFS perspective, it kind of leads to them both being a little bit of a value in my mind. Johnson is 5,100 in FanDuel. Lindsay is 4,700. And I think they're both $700 underpriced, but like, you know, I'm not, I'm not telling you that you should be stacking your Texans against the Rams necessarily. <laughs> But like, if you're looking for an inexpensive flyer to like, you know, kind of fill out fill yeah. out a lineup with some expensive guys, I would say they're both going to be a little bit more valuable uh, after the trade. And you're right, Lindsay does have the breakaway capability, so that could be something where if you're, yeah, I'm just he's just filling out filling out my roster here, mm -hmm. you know, the bottom of the thing, and winds up getting you a 40 yard touchdown because you know one mistake by the Rams defense. Yeah, I'm in a 16 team league and I picked up uh, Lindsay this week. So that, that, that kind of shows okay. you where we're, where we're talking here. Wow. All right, let's head to the 4 p.m. window. Uh, really interesting game here between the Patriots and Chargers, 405 in the Dome in L.A. Major storyline here is I think, will Damian Harris run all over the Chargers? <laughs> He's been extremely matchup sensitive so far this season. He mm -hmm. ran for just 10 combined yards on 10 carries against the Bucks and Saints. They're both top five in run defense DVOA. He's run for 207 yards and three touchdowns against the Cowboys and Jets. More recently, they're ranked 15th and 27th. I don't have to tell you, Mike, the Chargers are 32nd in run defense yes. DVOA. Is it, is it as easy as I'm making it out? I'm not sure. I mean, they're, they're going to run the ball. They mm -hmm. could give uh, Stevenson carries in this game yeah. because they're more of a battering ram type, et cetera. So that would be one of the things that would be a little bit of a worry if I was uh, – uh, worried about I'm more worried about like uh, a leech than I am worried about the, the Chargers like being able to stop that running game. I do want to throw a prop at you uh, that uh, we talked about a little bit on the show yesterday. Damian Harris and Austin Eckler mm -hmm. over 1.5 touchdowns. Ooh, intriguing. At what? plus 175. Ooh. Uh, 
one good thing about that is that even when when Stevenson's played and the Patriots have like made him inactive every other week in like a really confusing way, <laughs> even when he's playing and even though he's bigger, Damian Harris has been getting more of the goal line type of work. So you okay. would think that he would probably be the the primary scorer near the red zone, which is kind yeah. of good from that perspective. Right. Um, but this kind of gets into something else that I'm, I'm afraid that I might be zagging a little bit here. Okay. Um, where even though the Chargers are 32nd and run defense DVOA, like I would call that actually a feature rather than a bug of their defense. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So like Brandon Staley intentionally plays two high safeties more than every other team in football, right? Like his entire defensive philosophy is to eliminate the explosive plays down the field. Mm -hmm. And while everybody was like, well, the Rams, they're the number two run defense last year. Like he's such a great run defender. It's like, actually, you know, that's Aaron Aaron Donald. He's just like that good at filling those gaps by himself. I think the Chargers are kind of like intentionally trading off. We'll allow you to run on us, um, but we're going to prevent those explosive plays from happening. Yeah. And I'll say that their 32nd ranked run defense is an 8.3% rushing DVOA average, which that would make them 16th if that was the pass defense. Like they're like, yeah, run for us for four or five yards. Go ahead. Go ahead. We don't care. Um, but like for this game, right? is it like, well, like maybe we don't need to play too high safeties the whole time. What, what's Matt going to do? Stretch the stretch the field against us? Maybe right. not a major concern. Like, could there be a bit of a zag where then suddenly Brandon Staley is the one that's like tripping up the, the legendary Bill Belichick with a weird game script? I guess it's possible. And you're right. That does make a lot of sense. They're going to cross it up a little bit, not be like, oh, we have to sit back just in case Mac Jones burns us deep. Mm-hmm. Another thing to look at, Chargers defense, 30th against tight ends against a team that wants to throw over the middle against tight ends a lot. So that would be a little bit of a look for Hunter Henry, whatever your feelings are on Jonu Smith in terms of the fact he's been dropping the ball and doesn't always like get integrated into the offense there. But that's another place where we might see the, uh, but again, that also could be a situation where you say, well, we're dropping back to stop big plays against receivers. We're not, we don't care about Kendrick Bourne. We can come up a little bit and defend tight ends better. Yeah. From a DFS perspective, too, I think Justin Herbert, I continue to kind of harp on him. I just don't think the prices have totally caught up to how good I think he is from a DFS perspective. He's 7,900 in FanDuel, kind of in that second tier, I guess you would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he dropped $100 uh, from the Ravens matchup when obviously they had a bad week. But, you know, whatever. It happens. Like, everybody has bad weeks. Right. Uh, last, last year, I think, didn't the Patriots beat them by, like, 45 in this game? And yeah. he still went on to have a ton of innings success the rest of the way. Like, people have bad games. Um, so like he's the eighth most expensive quarterback in FanDuel this week, but I have him sixth in both true talent and, uh, for the weekly perspective with this matchup. Remember that while the Patriots may be a little bit better than average from a defensive perspective, this game is in the dome, which is a big boost to passing production and among other things too. So like, I think that's a helpful thing for his fantasy value, even if it won't necessarily help the team win. Makes sense. Next up Jaguars at Seahawks, 405 Eastern Seattle, 51 degrees and clear. Uh, this is me being a little bit of a troll, Mike, but do you think it means anything that Trevor Lawrence has a negative 21.4% passing DVOA this season? I included a little helpful chart here of rookie yeah. passing DVOA rates, and it's kind of a bad list that's below negative 10%. So yeah. Jared Goff is the is the big winner here, negative 74.8. Then Josh Rosen, Dwayne Haskins, negative 42. Josh Allen being the guy we'll hang our hat on all the time, negative 35.9. Right. Daniel Jones, negative 19. Mitchell Trubisky, negative 16. Sam Darnold, negative 15. Carson Wentz, negative 12. Those last four guys, all better than what we've seen from Trevor Lawrence so far. From a passing efficiency standpoint, are you concerned? I'm I'm not really worried. I'd be worried moving forward if we're still going to be playing these Urban Meyer games. <laughs> yeah, but you know, from a from a scouting perspective, of watching him, he looks comfortable in a way. You, you got named guys like Haskins never look comfortable back there. Rosen never looked comfortable back there. Uh, he looks comfortable and is is taking on assignments 
that a lot of those guys didn't take that were getting taken away from them because they weren't trusted. Trubisky was never comfortable as a, as a rookie quarterback, as a younger quarterback. So uh, uh, from that standpoint, I feel like, yeah, get a better, a more functional system around him, get some weapons that are better around him. And, and I'm, 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 I'm not worried about his development at all. Yeah. The Jaguars are kind of one of those weird teams where there's a big disparity between the run blocking and their pass blocking too. Like this is happening for the bears where like they can really block for the run, but like, their run blocking is great. James Robinson's having all yeah. this success. So you can get trapped into thinking like, why aren't the Jaguars moving the ball a little bit better overall? I, but I think it's such, it's just a really bad situation for Lawrence from a scheme perspective, from a pass protection perspective that I'm not worried, but I'm like, I'm tweeting about it because I think it's funny and it like is a, is a good thing to get people riled up, but thought I'd bring it up. I hear you. And they got a veteran line down there. Yeah. So you expect that to be decent. But if you really, if you look at the overall weapons, there's names. There's name weapons, mm -hmm. but they're name weapons that were available for Jacksonville for a reason this year. So a DFS play here, I think Alex Collins uh, at 5,300 in DraftKings is a bit of a value, $600 under price. Chris Carson continues to be out. Uh, we saw Rashad Penny come back from the PP list last week and play, but mm -hmm. Collins still got the lion's share of the work, 17 versus six total touches. Mm -hmm. So I feel pretty good about Collins being the lead back in this game. And I'll say that I think he's been much more effective from a real-world perspective than his basic statistics would suggest. Okay. 4.1 yards per attempt is a little bit below the NFL average. Hmm. But DVOA says 13.9% uh, is top 10 among running backs. Those opponent adjustments are really important here for him because he's played the Rams, the Steelers, and the Saints so far as a starter. They're ranked 16th, 9th, and 2nd in run defense DVOA. Give me that Jaguars matchup. I have a lot more optimism for him this week from a fantasy perspective. Right, and he's been with Geno, paired with Geno a lot against these good defenses. So it's mm -hmm. not like there's a lot of opportunities, and he's playing a weaker defense. So I like that. I'm, I'm not a you know Rashad Penny is vaporware, so like I don't worry about him taking carries away in a long term basis. Another thing to keep an eye on in this game, Jacksonville's defense, 31st versus tight ends, 32nd over the middle, and 32nd mm -hmm. against short passes. They, that's just a gap in the middle. There's no speed in the middle of that defense, whether it's a linebacker or a nickel type of guy. So that could be an opportunity for Gerald Everett. I think I pulled Gerald Everett's uh, – mm -hmm. his over-under is 24.5 for receiving yards. And his longest, his longest reception prop is 14.5. Now, I can imagine him just catching a shallow cross and getting for 15 yards there. But him and even Disley, if you're really looking for something cheap, might be guys who get opportunities this week against that weak Jaguars defense. You heard it here first, guys. Mike says, absolute stack of Geno Smith and all of his pass catchers this yes. week against the Jaguars. Yes, bet the mortgage on it. Do it. <laughs> I did, a, I did a Jacksonville passing stack a few weeks ago. Let me tell you, that went about as well as you would have expected. Ooh, what'd you do? What'd you do? Yeah, I think it was the London game. And I was going like, I did a maybe a DJ Chark before he got hurt, and then yeah. like a, a Marvin Jones, and then a Trevor Lawrence. And it just, it, it cratered. Um, <laughs> Crater before lunchtime. <laughs> uh, next up, we have the Washington football team at the Denver Broncos, 425 in Denver, 45 in clear. Uh, Mike, what do you think about the, the wide receivers for the Broncos now that Jerry Judy is going to play for the first time since week one when he suffered an ankle injury? Um, on one hand, Judy really dominated in that week in terms of volume. He had a target on 23% of his snaps. Mm -hmm. That would have been the highest rate among regular wide receivers last year. But on the other hand, I would say Cortland Sutton has gotten healthier and looked better, gotten a lot of work more recently. Tim Patrick has been pretty good, always an analytical darling. How yeah. will this shake out when all of these guys are there together? it's going to make it a functional offense again because it was rolling in the direction of being an utterly dysfunctional offense. And mm -hmm. Judy gives them more of a, a, a possession target that has a, 
element uh, that you have to that you have to account for. I mean, we like Patrick. Patrick does a lot because you're not totally accounting for him. He's a guy who has opportunities there. Now you have those guys that creates opportunities underneath. Still not a huge fan of Denver's overall offense. Despite mm. this, they still have injuries at tight end, uh, and and I just I think they're limited by their coordinator to a degree. I'm not uh, I'm not part of the Shermer fan club. If there is a Shermer fan club, but Judy's addition does help. Uh, if I'm talking about wins and losses, I'm thinking about Denver being able to take this game and get sort of back on track a little bit. From a Judy's uh, production standpoint, he's going to get his targets. Yeah, I think he will too. And so I was a little surprised that he's only 4,900 in DraftKings. I think that's 900 underpriced. Right. They must be thinking that maybe he's going to play a more limited snap yeah. share. Like, like that's kind of what happened with Dalvin Cook coming off of his ankle injury. Suddenly he was playing 45 instead of 70% of snaps or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I would take a gamble on Judy this week at that kind of price tag. Maybe it'll submarine your team, but if you have enough teams and you kind of sprinkle him in a little bit, I think that may end up working out for you. Right. Boomer uh, Next up, Bucks at Saints, 425 in New Orleans in the Dome. Uh, Mike, do you put any stock in the Saints having two effective defensive games against Tom Brady's Buccaneers last year? In week one in New Orleans, uh, he was 23 of 36 for 239, two touchdowns, but two picks, just 6.6 mm -hmm. 6 yards per attempt, got three sacks. Week mm -hmm. nine, 21 of 38 for 209, zero touchdowns, three picks, 5.5 yards per attempt, also took three sacks, only had two other games all year with three sacks, so... You could say the Saints had his number, or you could say that, hey, it's all small sample size, bro. What do you think? A little bit of small sample size, a little bit of it's a very, very good defense, and you're going to have weaker statistics mm -hmm. even with Tom Brady against a good defense, and that's how I approach it here. If you look at the overall pressure rates uh, of the Saints, they are not particularly good. And if you look yeah. at the personnel in the secondary, it's not very good. Uh, I can see these things as limiting factors for Tom Brady, but we said earlier Brady over Barrow, et cetera, et cetera. I look at the entire Saints – team and i'm like this is smoke mirrors and cyclone bombs that that's that's what this <laughs> is right now and yeah. jets and whatever i mean whoever else they face, they didn't face the jets but i uh, i i don't know how they're doing it on both sides of the ball and i wouldn't i would not like for a second hesitate to put a brady out there or now with antonio brown out you're going to have more targets to the other receivers and i would not be worried about any of those guys from a fantasy standpoint so you, you may say they haven't faced the Jets, but they faced Geno Smith with the Seattle Seahawks defense. So like, have they faced the Jets? I think it's yeah. it's possible they've faced the Jets. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm with you. They, the Saints are still number three in defensive DVOA. It yes. may be like you, you say in walkthrough this the, in today's edition of walkthrough up on Football Outsiders. Everybody check that out. Like how few total plays the, the yes. Saints are running per game. And yes. to me, like that actually may be semi-intentional because like when you have such a good defense, like the, the smaller play count may play into their favor against an explosive offense like the Bucks. Mm -hmm. Maybe that will and that will limit Tom Brady by volume if they can't limit him from an efficiency, efficiency perspective. So that's mm -hmm. a little bit intriguing. That may help them with the upset here. But like that's not going to really chase me away from Brady and these pass catchers, especially with Antonio Brown out. That's fewer mouths to feed from a fantasy perspective. And I think that that creates some value. From right. a DFS perspective, I actually think Tyler Johnson is the third receiver. Really nice at 3,100 in DraftKings. That's not Ooh. very expensive. Um, his snap share increased from 16% in week six to seven or 67% in week seven with Antonio Brown out. And while like Evans and Godwin were catching 10 touchdowns or whatever it was, like he was getting a good amount of work. And I, like it wouldn't shock me to see him with like a 70 yard and a touchdown line one of these weeks. This could be it with Marshawn Lattimore maybe locking down Evans on the outside. So, yeah. um, to me, that's a, a really intriguing option at such an inexpensive price. Right, because you do want to look at the depth of the secondary and the Saints. It's like, yeah, they're number two, number three guys. Johnson was the guy he would like 
he was a rookie last year, and like whenever he caught a pass, it was like third and eighteen, and he caught a twenty-two yard pass or something like that. Wasn't he like like a crazy high leverage success story? Mm-hmm. He was, um, and also I think he was like either the maybe the number one sleeper of the playmaker score, football outsiders, right. wide receiver prospect evaluation. Like we think he's very talented and kind of a draft steal, but it's hard to tell because he's like surrounded by all these hall of famers that are getting right. the targets in front of him. But like in the long term, may end up being a really good receiver. All right, we got the couple of night games to close this up. First with the Cowboys at Vikings on Sunday night, 820 in the Dome in Minnesota. I may be a little bit premature here, but Mike, what do you think is going to happen when Michael Gallup returns to the Cowboys lineup? Is that going to affect any of his teammates from a fantasy perspective? I think it's going to eat a little bit into the receivers. It's going to eat more into the tight ends. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Schultz and now I'm blanking on the other young man's name. Uh, uh, Jarwin, Blake Jarwin. Jar- Blake Jarwin and, mm-hmm. and, and Schultz, they've been, they've been excellent. And I think that that's going to siphon a little bit of those targets because some of those targets are going to go more into a slot receiver type situation. But I think we are being a little premature because we're burying the lead here. We don't know what's going on with that. I know. I know. I was kind of waiting to see if we would find out one way or the other. And unfortunately, we, we may not know until game time, which is really bad news from a fantasy perspective. Again, because when you're talking about a Sunday or a Monday night game, you can't protect yourself unless you're like really in the ride with who was a Cooper Rush. I don't even know who their backup quarterback is. It Danucci? Cooper Rush. Okay. Danucci Big would have been more fun. Um, so yeah, like maybe don't expect your usual great game from CD lamb this week. I would say maybe avoid those guys from a DFS perspective, since it's easier to do, like you probably can't bench those guys in a traditional sense. Um, one reason I might zag a little bit is because last year Gallup had an 11.8 yard average depth of target. That's a little bit higher than an average wide receiver saying that he's kind of stretching the field a little bit. Uh, This year, CD lamb, 9.8 Cooper, 11.8 and Schultz 5.9. This is something we've talked about a little bit with Derek Klassen, the the football outsider scout, is that Schultz actually offers this team kind of a unique, you know, target in terms of area of the field where you can attack. You would think with all these tremendous receivers that they could do anything every which way, but they're at their best, again, kind of attacking the field vertically. And so I'm not sure that Schultz is going to stop being a top five fantasy quarterback or tight end just because some of these other guys on the outside are a little bit so effective. Really, it's just going to all spiral into an incredible offense if it's not already. So you know, I'm not running away from any of these guys, although maybe this Sunday night I am if Prescott is, is this big of a question mark. Yeah, I am running away from him. Jar- Jarwin would be the guy they would think of as their seam stretcher tight end. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, like, Lamb can work the short middle of the field. There's a lot of ways they can figure that right now. But one thing is, you're right in that they're wanna, they want to keep a two tight end look a lot. They like that look a lot for the same reason. It's like, oh, you can get have your personnel in and then you can attack them in other ways. Mm-hmm. But you're right. I, I think it's it's going to be a too many balls situation, except that the offense will be ex- so explosive. Mm-hmm. They'll be feeding everybody well enough. They'll be feeding everybody well enough. I, I've made the I've made the Tampa Bay Bucks have too many mouths to feed argument for like two straight years. I may have yeah. to retire that because you know what? Injuries always solve the problem. They always yeah. solve the problem. So even when Michael Gallup comes back, somebody else is going to get hurt. And then all these guys that are left – are going to be fine from a fantasy perspective. Um, from a DFS angle for this week, uh, because of the DAC uncertainty, I'm going to lean a bit, little bit more on the Vikings. I think Dalvin Cook at only 8000 in DraftKings is a pretty okay. good value, more than $1,000 underpriced. To me, this is looking at an ankle injury that he suffered earlier, but I think he's back to normal. Here is snap shares by week. 71%, 77% the first two weeks, fully healthy. Didn't play with an ankle injury, played 49%, didn't play again with the ankle injury, but then before the buy, 74%. So I think he's back at his normal volume there. I expect the old school Davin Cook could have a really nice game here for the Vikings unless they they lose track of the Cowboys, which may not happen again if Dak doesn't play. So that's right. my DFS angle there. 
Right. I mean, and that makes sense. And they may be trying to, uh, you know, control the clock a little bit more. And you can do that against that Cowboys offense. Mm-hmm. One more game. We got the Monday night Giants at Chiefs, Monday, 815, Kansas City, 43 degrees and a 45 percent chance of rain. So that could throw a little bit of a kink in this game mm-hmm. here. Uh, Mike, I think I know the answer to this, but do you think there's anything wrong with the Chiefs offense? Obviously, the huge Titans shut out, but they're still fifth in offensive DVOA. I got worried when, and it went viral. Patrick Mahomes said, "You know, I get bored just taking what the defense gives me." <laughs> it's like, you know what? Embrace the boredom because uh, a little bit of boredom might be healthy for you right now because that's what you need to take. I don't think there's anything functionally wrong, although I do get nervous when Andy Reid's teams start getting really sloppy and go kablooey because that happened to the Eagles uh, in the la- latter half of the uh, the McNabb mm. era going into the Vic era, and, and it got more and more ridiculous every week where you didn't know which team was showing up. But yeah. I don't think there's anything substantially functionally wrong with them, and I think this should be a, a good matchup for them. Again, like the last two NFC East matchups, to get out there, have what looks like a normal game for them on the stat sheet, and – quiet the, the the conversation for another week about what's wrong with Mahomes, what's wrong with their offense. Yeah. And like, while, while there's all this, like, you know, teeth gnashing about Mahomes and the passing offense, I think that makes it a sneaky opportunity to roll with Daryl Williams, the running back okay. uh, 6,200 in FanDuel. I think that's $700 underpriced. If you're playing a full week game here, he's been the clear number one back uh, while Claude Edwards, Alaire has been out played 72% and 64% of snaps. His last two starts, 61.9% carry share the last few weeks. That's 13th highest among running backs. So like, this is a clear RB2 who didn't score very much in the Titans game because the Chiefs weren't scoring. But I think most weeks that's not going to really be a big problem. No, that's a solid RB2. And in this game, they should get scoring opportunities. Now, of course, goal line opportunities in Kansas City is a chance for them to run mm-hmm. some kind of weird karaoke thing where Travis Kels pretends he doesn't know the play and catches a touchdown. But you would think there'll be some running back opportunities there as well. Yeah, let's circle back to these questions on the YouTube chat. Again, thanks, everybody, for asking us questions. You can watch us live 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time uh, on Friday for the fantasy questions here. But Monday through Friday, Football Outsiders has something for you. YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, Mike, let me give you an assignment while I'm scrolling down here. One of our guys says Lamar is out. Will you look up and see if Lamar Jackson's hurt? I did not know about this. Oh, okay. Thank goodness. Yeah, I had a panic attack, too. Yeah, I was like, out. Just trying to think through this. You like, you think right. I would know after I make the projections that I don't know what I'm talking about here. Right. Um, let's see. Let's circle back to Brad Montgomery earlier on asked, uh, in a half PPR format, do you like Amari Cooper and Leonard Fournette or Tyreek Hill and Melvin Gordon um, for a trade perspective? Hmm. To me, this one's pretty clear because while Tyreek Hill is probably the best player in the deal, I think Melvin Gordon may end up losing out on workload down the stretch to rookie Javante Williams. They've been very evenly split so far, but Williams from an advanced metrics perspective, I think is last I checked number two in avoided tackle rate behind just Christian McCaffrey so far this year. He's so, so talented. And like, I could see him like ending up being Cam Akers or JK Dobbins for the last month for the Broncos. Maybe their competitiveness will will deal with that. But uh, I think that Gordon may end up losing out down the stretch. Do you think that's true, Mike? I am going 100% with what you said because once yeah. you get to eight, half PPR leagues, we're, <laughs> out of my, we're out of my range a little bit. Yeah, exactly. All right, so let's talk about this Lamar question then that I, I screwed up earlier. With Lamar out, he has to decide between Sam Darnold, Teddy Bridgewater, or Big Ben. Not the most enviable situation. And I know that my my projections say that Sam Darnold is the way to go here, uh, and they did last week, and that didn't work out very well. Um, so I, I, again, Mike, we talked about this. I can't tell if I'm justifying it to myself or not, 
but it seems to me there may be a bit of a pass rush effectiveness split with Sam Darnold's passing production yeah. where like when he faces the elite pass rushing units, he, he just can't get the time, can't get the ball off. His receivers can't get open. Mm -hmm. I think it could be different this week against the Falcons. Um, so I, I'm going to say it's Darnold, um, but I don't feel good about it. I think that's, that's definitely the case. I would go with Darnold because again, it is the Falcons defense and then you can usually count on getting some, uh, you know, chaotic, even if you're far behind, they're going to let you come back in. Mm. And again, I, I do circle back to those drop passes. That's not something that's super, super predictive across the course of a season. And if you get, it would have been a different game even last week if there weren't so many clear drops in the middle of the field. Yeah, I'm, I'm honestly curious whether there's something wrong with Robbie Anderson. I, I know that I joked to you that he had all 19 of the drops because that's what it's looked right. like as a watcher. Um, but it honestly looks like like he had he's seen ghosts, I would say, more than even Sam Darnold is right he's now. Had, he, maybe he's, he's hurt. Of, He's been a focused guy in the past mm -hmm. and more looked a little unfocused a couple of times. I remember like he was in the middle of the field and he just slid. He gave himself up. <laughs> like You give yourself up. You're a receiver, you know, make another move and things like that. So there's things like that to suggest like these guys need a little bit more of a fire under them. That's not very scientific, et cetera. Yeah. But that's, it's like, you know what? Go work the jugs machine all week to remind yourself what you guys are supposed to be doing right now. I mean, speaking from a scientific perspective, I was going to ask you on Twitter whether, uh, based on your walkthrough, since the Jets are number one in drops and the Panthers are number two, are the Jets like the origin point of all of the bad <laughs> NFL play? And it's like, right, it it's infected out. Carolina. Like, if Carolina passes it on to Atlanta, this could this could end up being like a real <laughs> pandemic situation. Although at least, this, I guess at least the CDC is down the in Atlanta. The Jets pandemic. Oh, yeah. my God. And they made one of the vaccines. We're in deep trouble here, people. <laughs> Oh, that's uh, canceled. Good night, folks. Yeah, I mean, we, we obviously need to wrap this up. We're completely off the rails. It's, I, that's just the joy of having Mike Tanier on as the guest on the Fantasy Show. So, Mike, thanks so much for, again, slumming it on the Fantasy Show. Um, I, I've said it a couple of times, but I'll, I'll repeat again that Football Outsiders is live Monday through Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time. You can catch us on YouTube and chat with us or watch us on Twitch, on Twitter, or on Facebook. Mike and Aaron do the shows um, on Tuesday and, and not Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. Yep. Um, so like you can, you can get either your fantasy stuff, your real stuff, all of it. It's all a lot of fun. We appreciate it if you could watch us live or listen to us after the fact on the football outsiders podcast network. All right. That wraps it up. Thanks everybody for listening. Good luck with your week eight fantasy matchups and then swing back next week and we'll break it all down for you all over again.